Yes. Okay. Uh, Zivon did not like it. <laughs> no, just let, just shoot from the hip. Okay. Okay. Welcome back to Obscura Broadcasting's podcast, Famous Last Words, where we talk about films most of the time. Uh, sometimes we don't talk about films and we talk about movies. Sometimes we don't talk about movies and we talk about cinema, but that's when we're wearing our tweed blazers and feeling a little pretentious. Do we ever talk about theater? No, we don't ever no. talk. We should talk. Just the we probably cinema. should go talk about theater. No, we don't need to. We also don't talk about books because we're illiterate. Uh, inaccurate. But this is a film podcast and a podcast about films. Right. Are you sure you're illiterate? Uh... I had to draw... I've been drawing, I had to draw pictures. I have to use like a picture shorthand that I've created to be able to read. I'm like a stenographer. Oh, okay. I'm illiterate except for stenography. <laughs> I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. We're married and don't share any DNA. But we have the same last name. But we're not cousins or brother and sister. And this is? Famous last words. This is our podcast. This is what we're talking about. So yeah, we're talking about Succession, which is a little show that uh, was not so popular and didn't garner lots of attention in awards. Um, it's a show about uh, the Murdochs, uh, of, essentially, but it's a show about the Roy family led by Brian Cox. You you know, it. You, if you've been living under a rock, you even know what it is, what the show was. And we have recently rewatched it. And uh, we watched it as it was airing after the first season. We kind of watched each season as it came out. And this is a show that we both really, really like. Yeah. So we watched the final season in real time and then got kind of excited about it and wanted to rewatch the whole thing. So we ended up rewatching it over the last couple months. Yeah. And it holds up on a rewatch. I think, uh, you know, the show is not perfection exactly, but it's uh, it's pretty damn close. Um Except for a couple things, but we'll get into that. We'll get into that. <laughs> um, do you have any initial uh, observations from this time rewatching it? Yeah, I think I enjoyed the experience more rewatching it because I was able to. We were able to like binge it um, and not have to wait entire years before seasons. Mm -hmm. um, I think that really helped with understanding some of the nuances in the script um and then also in the character development and you know it just it you could feel that sense of like urgency and excitement that it has when you're watching it all together in a short period of time versus waiting and waiting and waiting um so i think it enhanced the experience for me i felt much it just became easier to understand what was going on and all of the ins and outs yeah, yeah, it definitely helped some characters. It, it helped uh, Kendall feel like, you know, he really does feel like the main character when you're watching it all at once, um, even more so if you're watching it kind of segmented. Um, they, It was interesting to see how things kind of developed, things that you kind of felt like as you're watching it over years, you kind of feel like it's developing and doing things and then watching it quickly, it, it changes the way you kind of perceive characters' arcs and developments. Um 
I found that um, Shiv's character, initially watching it, is like her kind of descent into being a bad, like, you know, she's kind of seduced by the power. That was my read of it the first time I watched it, watching it over years. And this time watching it, I thought that it was just kind of in, like, she's awful from the start. And her storyline doesn't work as well for me as I thought it did watching it all at once. See, I kind of got a different vibe. Like, I understand, like, I agree with you that it's a different experience watching her character all at once. But I think, I almost wonder if they made a different decision for her character after a certain point, like, mid-season one. Mm -hmm. Like, it didn't seem like she was that awful or trying. No, right. Yeah, like... And I think they decided to change her character a little bit, or maybe not. Maybe it was always meant to be this way. But yeah, it just it seemed like she went quicker into being like a full on like power hungry kind of person, along with her brothers, but in like a different fashion. Yeah, and also the way she dresses in the pilot is really interesting. That I think you're right. I think they were thinking she's in a completely different direction. And I originally, mm-hmm. I think they originally weren't sure if they were going to take her in the direction that she is going to be like, she was going to be the antagonist. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. a a secondary that it was essentially going to be Kieran Culkin and uh, Brian Cox versus Shiv and Kendall on different sides that Shiv was going to be like a democratic strategist or something. It's, it's not clear. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess they're pulling from the real life Murdoch's. So some of this is, was set up for them. True. Yeah, no, I mean, I like her character as a character. Like, I would not want to be, like, friends with her. (laughs) But for this show, I feel like her character works in the sense that, like, you know, she's been pushed out her whole life for being a woman, and, like, this industry is not friendly to women, and, like, she's sort of overcompensated in the other direction for that, and she's, like, really forceful, but at the same time, like, still very much, like, She's that interesting conflict of I'm trying to be a strong, independent woman, and then I'm also like here to people please and make you happy and try to manipulate, like, and and manipulate for her because that's her character, um, and that's sort of the evil side of her character. But I like that she exists. I like that she's like struggling with her brothers and her father, and like she's, it's almost like she's never really even considered, and she's to be the successor, and that her dad was just like stringing her along and she just like reacts the whole time to that and then how her brothers treat her. And so it all kind of makes sense um, though. She's portrayed pretty horribly. They all are. Yeah, they all are. Um, Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I I think that they didn't hundred percent all the time know what to do with her character. Um, You know, she's a key player towards the end of the show, obviously and spoilers, but like, I don't know. The first time I walked through it, watched it, I was just like, oh, I kind of like the Greg and Tom and Shiv kind of like they all have, you know, they all kind of interact in similar ways. Like Shiv dumps on Tom, Tom dumps on Greg. And the second time around, I wasn't as into it. I kind of was just like, I want these, I want some of these scenes between Greg and Tom knowing where, knowing that they don't really amount to anything, that they're just kind of like there to like be the monster of the week, whatever they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. I just kind of like get these over with. Like, I I did not like those as much second time around. And I found Greg's character to be extremely annoying second time around. I mean, I know he's supposed to be that way, mm-hmm. but I was just like, we're giving a lot of screen time to this 
whatever he's up to. And like ultimately it doesn't matter because he's gonna he tries to fuck them over and can't multiple times and he doesn't become the successor and that's fine and it's whatever. He was a plot device all along, I guess. And he's the first character you see. He's the first like he's you spend mm-hmm. a lot of time with him early on in the pilot. Oh right. Thinking yeah. that he's gonna be the one to overtake. You know, that's the the setup, right? I just felt like Greg was there so that, like, we have exposition dumps. So, because Greg doesn't know anything, Greg walks in the room and is like, What's going on? I think you need a Greg, though. It's a comedy. Like, you need that, like, comedy duo of Tom and Greg, which I agree with you. Like, I still think they're funny and I like some of their moments, but I did feel a little bit like, All right, Greg, like, get out of here. <laughs> you know, he's like more of a novelty character. And so the first time around, it's like, Oh, yeah, yeah. And the second time, you're like, just like a little more annoyed. Yeah, because it does slow. He does almost every scene that he's interacting is played for comedy, not for the storyline moving forward. Mm-hmm. So it slows the narrative down. I yeah. would I would say this that if you are cutting together the entire show into a, like a two hour movie, that you would cut Greg's character completely out. That's true, or at least mostly out because it's different because it's a show. If it was a movie, yeah, you'd be right. Yeah, and I mean if it's a movie about Tom, because Tom is the one that. Oh, finally takes it you kind of you would build it around tom's storyline which is one of like the you know i think tom is conversely to greg is extremely well written i think that um i mean nicholas braun who plays greg is not bad like he's fine Mm -hmm. um but like the tom character i feel like is the best written character in the show besides kendall um that Mm -hmm. he you know he, he develops into a you know, a monster, essentially. And he, like, sells his soul. And he's the, you know, the one that is obviously the one that's going to be, ex- like, he's going to be executed and he's going to be the one that takes the fall and ultimately inherits the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, an empty win, because it's actually um, Skarsgård's world. Right. No, I mean, I think Tom's character was the big noticeable difference for me in the rewatch. Like, I didn't like glom onto what was happening as quickly until you know the ending but there's like definitely breadcrumbs throughout about tom and um he has a subtle change like he actually is always out to be the best to win the game to use people to you know become something he's not he's logan yeah, he's exactly like you make that connection the second time around because you know the ending and you know the comparisons. But yeah, you're like, oh, he's Logan. And they're like telling you almost like a different story, but the story of Logan and rising to success. And uh, right. it's very interesting. I think Tom's character is great. I think he's well written. He's really funny, but also very like serious and emotional. And there's lots of ups and downs with him and Shiv. And yeah, I think there's some flaws in some of Shiv's character interactions, but my favorite are the ones with her and Tom. I just feel like it hits home so many things about the two of them and how they treat people is how they treat each other. Yeah, Matthew McFadden did an excellent job and his scenes with Sarah Snook, Shiv, are great. I think you're right. I think that, you know, looking back on the show, relishing in this point about Tom, is Tom is Logan, essentially. I mean, Tom... Didn't build anything from the ground up, but he was married to the right person. His first mar- like, his first marriage was the right person to get position himself in power. And Logan was married to, what's her face, the mother Caroline, 
who was wealthier than he was and like you mm-hmm. know helped him get ahead in his career and then you know i think that there's a there's a case to be made that like logan didn't even know tom's name for a long time and then ultimately grew to respect him when he was willing to make the sacrifice as much as logan could respect anyone because i don't think that that character brian cox could respect any like his character mm-hmm. doesn't respect anyone and doesn't care about anyone other than himself and his own satisfaction mm-hmm. yeah um yeah the the other interesting thing about the rewatch after seeing the ending was like there were two things that i kind of liked to, to debate um in my head and with you and i i really like shows that don't fully answer things for you and you get to like think about it and be like well when did that happen and why and like the two things that leave you wondering is did um logan roy want kendall to succeed him was that an underline or a cross out Mm -hmm. and then also like why and when does shiv make her switch in the decision not to vote for kendall Right, yeah, and and I'd throw one more in there that always bugged me, and I think it bugged a lot of people, is what is Logan's look at the end of season two? Oh, yeah. Uh, When Kendall kind of killed, like, Kendall outs him, um, which was all just a red herring anyway, but Mm -hmm. season three is a big red herring. You think that Kendall's going to take down Logan, and they just, he doesn't, because he's too powerful. Yeah. Um, No, I like the end of season two where he does try to take him down, though. I was wrong about one thing. Um, I just said that, like, Tom was married to Caroline in his first marriage. His first marriage was to Connor's mother, who we never see or never hear, except for the loony cake bit. Oh, Lo- Logan. Logan was never married to... Oh, right, right, right. Well, he was married to, to Connor, Alan Ruck's mom. And we don't ever see her or hear from her, just the loony cake. Mm-hmm. Right. Um... <laughs> I really like Alan Ruck's character. Me too. Yeah. I like him just as a comedian and an actor too. I just think he's so funny. Yeah. Him and his bit with his uh, prostitute slash wife is good. (laughs) Yeah. But you actually care about them, even though he's like a terrible, doesn't want to pay taxes, Republican, Mm -hmm. libertarian. And actually, Rory, is it Rory Culkin? Which Culkin is it? Yes. Okay. Rory Culkin, like. Kieran Culkin. Kieran Culkin. Sorry. I always get them confused. I'm sure that's been their entire lives. Um, yeah, I the first time you watch it, you're like really into... Well, I don't know, into his character, but his character is just so obvious and, and funny and over the top and like you end up enjoying his character. And then the second time you watch it, like I didn't not enjoy his character. It's just you get to see more of like the background mm-hmm. work and less of like all the jokes he's making and... Um, yeah, it's just, I like his character and I, I like the way he plays it. And it's nice to like get through the shock value of his character the first season and get to see a little bit more of like what he might be doing under the surface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think he's, he's a well-written character, but the one I really want to talk about and the one I think the show is all built around is Kendall, Jeremy Strong's character, the the eldest boy, as he would put it. <laughs> um, I think you know, rewatching the show, I was just like, the guy is an amazing actor and he does such so well. And like controversial opinion, sometimes he doesn't have a lot to do material wise. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, he essentially does the same thing two or three times in the show. Yeah. And each time he fails. Each time it ends in a boardroom kicking his ass. Um, his character, he's so heartbreaking in some ways. Like, 
just what you said. He keeps doing the same thing over and over again, and it still doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, the writer creator, uh, Jesse Armstrong, says the whole thing is like a, a tragedy. It's a it's a Shakespearean tragedy, and at the center of that is Jeremy. Mm-hmm. Strong's character, um, Kendall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just blown away watching. And his sustained performance over the three seasons really feels really great. Yeah, his character is for sure the most consistent. I don't know if it's written that way or just portrayed that way, but or both. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you feel a lot for him, and and then you do feel like he is the main character because he has the most like tragic moments. For sure. Um, so the other, so you had a list of things that you big questions. So mm-hmm. some of those have been answered now that we live in the future. True. So we bought the script book for season one and two of the show. And because I was obsessed with this moment at the end of season two, like <laughs> does what is the stage direction for Logan? Because it feels very intentional. Is it a situation similar to uh, um, what's that movie with uh, Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro and Edward Norton? The score? The score. Like at the, the end of the score, um, Robert De Niro was in control all along and they cut to Marlon Brando's character and he gives a smirk. Mm. And Marlon Brando didn't want him to give a smirk because Marlon Brando was an asshole. And they digitally made his face smile to get the smirk <laughs> out of him. And so like like that, I was always wondering like what was the direction? And the reason we bought them is because the scripts are like what they wrote to give to the actors that they were shooting. So, like, dialogue is sometimes in different orders. Like, the edit and, like, whatever happened on set is, mm-hmm. like, after what the book is. So, I want to see what, like, the blueprint was. Yeah. Show me the blueprints. <laughs> um, show me the blueprints. Um, and so, the what it was written was what? You, do you remember? Um, it was that he he smiles because... And I'm, I'm not reading this. You're paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing. Um, he smiles because he realizes that Kendall is a killer. Yeah. And can succeed for him because he's a killer. Right. Yeah. And, and so, so like um so also and I don't think we didn't write we didn't buy the script for this one, but I think you read something online later when it comes to the underlining or crossing out. Oh yeah, Jesse Armstrong was asked about this recently. Yeah, but so because he smiled in that season, I figured he circled it. After that moment, he underlined it. I'm sorry, he underlined it. If he circled it, there'd be no debate. Um, he underlined it after that moment or somewhere near that because he was like, Yes, okay, I think you can do it. Um, but then, yeah, so you read that Jesse Armstrong is like, Well, is it crossed out? It clearly looks crossed out. And Jesse Armstrong said that uh, you don't start underneath a name when you're going to cross something out. Mm. Yeah, the way you draw a line, yeah, it would be different. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's pretty much clear too. And then, I don't know. Maybe we need to buy the last season script to figure out the Shiv thing. Do you have a theory? My theory. Well, okay. So second time watching it, I was thinking about this a lot, and I was looking for the moment where maybe she changes her mind. And I actually thought it was much early on, but now I'm feeling like it literally happens close to the moment, like. Kendall's just so off the rails and like berating them and freaking out that she just like um it's no. a, oh oh no I I remember what I was thinking it's when he sits in the desk chair at his father's desk yes yeah. that's where I think it starts in her brain where she's just like 
no, I cannot let this happen. And then he starts going insane and like probably treating her similarly to how Logan has treated her or her mother or things like that. And it just triggered her to like be like, no, I'm not going to let this happen. Right. Right. Because Tom will ultimately at least try to listen to her. Yeah. She has a better chance at manipulating Tom than Kendall. Right. So is that when you think too? Yeah. That's when he's treat- I think I heard somewhere that's when he sits in the chair that really pisses her off. Oh, I wish okay. that moment, I mean, I understand for the drama of it, you want it to happen off screen, but like, it'd be interesting to to know what they were thinking was said in those scenes. And it'd be interesting to know what mm-hmm. Matthew McFadden and uh, Sarah Snook thought happened in the scene between Tom and... Yeah, that's true. You know, because I'm sure they did that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to bring up one other thing. Okay. <laughs> because, well, it has to do with another reason why we bought the scripts and we were interested to see the shooting script versus... Or no, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, like the script that they wrote versus what ended up because the characters do, the actors do kind of make the characters their own. There's a tiny bit of improving that happens. There's different things where the director puts in background actors to sort of like force them without them knowing, like force them into acting a little bit differently. Like when they're on the boat and the father is dying and they're talking to him on the phone, there's like a bunch of catering bartender actors that the director... Background extras, yeah. ...that sent in to make them like walk away from them to feel a little bit more close, huddled. And the reason why they could do that, and this is the big controversial thing with us in this show, is because the way they shot it was very fluid. It was all handheld. They did bump-ins and things like that. Multiple cameras, yeah. Multiple cameras. They could be flexible versus like one camera and you have to like lock it off lock it and yeah lock it off and everything so that's one thing that drives us crazy watching the show because we just don't like that super handheld documentary bump in style um but I, I understand why they did it and they stuck with it the whole time like it yeah. was their tone and their vibe and i respect that but i hate it <laughs> yeah mark Milod, who's the director he also directed the menu directed many of the episodes of the show and uh i mean that's who that who we're talking about like back mm-hmm. them into that corner so that mm-hmm. play out the way they did. Um, you know, I think uh, it's not a badly directed show. It's aesthetic really bothers me. The handheld aesthetic and the bump-ins. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. I think it will age the way that, you know, some things like bell-bottoms. You know, I mean, like, I just think it's not... It's a style that's, like, in right now. To, But I feel like... I don't know, because the show is so about the uh, classical tragedy of it all the music is written using conventions of the 1800s musically and then the sh- it's the way it's shot is shot like safety brothers low budget handheld bumpins running gun kind of style well and it create for me personally and it could just be me create some cognitive dissonance do you think that's on purpose to give like a very clear just juxtaposition and to modernize like those classical ideals and Possibly, yeah. Create that, like, sense of... Cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. I think. I'll I'll go with that. It feels very artful. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, I think Succession was uh, one of those shows that uh, was a lightning rod for a lot of people. And it's a really... I'm glad that exists. I'm excited to see what comes next for these people. I'm excited to see what Jeremy Strong does next uh, in particular. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, no, it was a really great show, and I think that 
I know some people gave up on it and it does have a little bit of a repetitive nature and it I think it was right place right time great show for all of us kind of reeling about the our larger than life politics were insane like mm-hmm. you know our, our our real life you know the Trump era as we are still kind of living in it you know was easy to find that these people are might be bumbling idiots and power hungry morons yeah yeah, I think right show, right time, but also a very well done show. I mean, right. for the TV that we have coming out right now, like just tons of it, it definitely stands apart from a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, succession, we don't rate things really, but. Well, we used to it. have a system. Own it. We, own bought it. The books. we bought the books. We probably will buy the DVDs at some point because we do like it. So mm-hmm. um, do you have a mailbag for us or do you have a. Uh, I don't have a mailbag, but I have... So I've been watching things and making little notes about them, and it's like a potpourri. Ooh. A potpourri. Potpourri of things. A potpourri of things. So yes, here is Andrew's potpourri from five things that we've watched that I have observations about. So these will be like quick hits. Okay. We don't need to like... You can comment on them if you want. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, starting with... A movie we watched just yesterday, The Ghostwriter, which is a movie directed by uh, Roman Polanski and stars Ewan McGregor and uh, Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan? 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 James uh, Bond. James Bond. The, everyone's real James Bond, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> cool. The last shot of this movie, so this is going to spoil the whole movie, but the last shot of this movie is so excellent just from a... like. This whole the whole movie works on a series of fate, right? Like he's gonna this ghostwriter is writing about um, you know Tony Blair type figure who's like a puppet for the United States, which you find out over the course of the movie, and he's finally cracked the code about how they got to him, when they got to him, and there's a, and he walks out. You think he's gonna like break the news? He's carrying the script out in the street. He's done it. He is the truth baron, and he's crossing the street trying to get a taxi. The taxi blows him off, and then he. He walks off his camera and a car speeds up and you don't you hear a crash and you just see the pages of the script floating by floating back into the frame and mm-hmm. it's extremely well done. And you see you hear a passerby say something like that's awful or something yeah, it just happened, like as if they called the cops. Right. It's very good. It's the best yeah. part of the whole movie. Yeah. Yep. We're not gonna go into substituting Germany from Massachusetts. We're not gonna even go into that. Okay. <laughs> Sliding Doors. Ooh, an oldie. A, an oldie. Not a goodie. Gwen, Gwyneth Paltrow gets many haircuts in this movie. Um, this movie blows. Um, but I think it's the... This movie has a concept over execution. I think we... Everyone's got a screenplay out there. Every every person you know has an idea for a movie or they thought to themselves, this would be a great movie. Sliding Doors is a perfect example of someone with a great idea that it didn't know how to execute. And mm-hmm. furthermore... I like to point out my own thing. I don't know how I would execute this concept any better than she would. True. Any, any better than it was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a very hard thing. I don't think it's the right medium for... Film might not be the right medium for this. This might actually be better done as a painting. Or a book. Or a book. Yeah, I, I agree with books. that. I'm illiterate, remember? <laughs> oh, right, right, right. All your notes right now are in little symbols. Yeah, yeah. You can't even <laughs> read this. Okay. N- next, next up. Next up is Dolly Land, a new movie about Salvador Dolly, uh, directed by Mary Heron, who directed American Psycho. I really, really like this movie. 
I really like movies about artists. Mm-hmm. End of story. We have a whole one about um, mm-hmm. uh, Van Gogh. We almost did an episode about this. We almost did an episode about this. Um, it's really interesting when biopics don't have the budget for huge exterior shots. And this movie had mm-hmm. only exteriors in the seaside, which could have been Spain, and then a lot of interiors. And I thought it worked pretty well. Yeah. The movie gets a little lost in its own sauce. Um mm-hmm. But um, Ben Kingsley. Ben Ben Kingsley is essentially Salvador. He's Dalton. amazing. Like, yeah, he did a great job. Um, the whole kind of '70s sexual liberation subplot thing that goes on in the show, I think, is like not great. Yeah, Ezra Miller does great as younger Salvador Dali. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. But he's out of the movie in a flash. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh geez. Um, okay. <laughs> Next. Star Wars Episode Five. Which one's Episode Five? Empire Strikes Back. Ooh, nice. So, Star Wars is a IP that is, like, out of control. Like, you know, there's just way too fucking much of it. I would agree with that, even though you're really Star Wars grumpy. I agree. Right. It's <laughs> We have Star Wars Mandalorian. We have Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. We have Star Wars characters that no one's even heard of we have background characters that get full-blown series about them now so empire strikes back empire strikes back no no so no i was not done with my opinion oh i'm sorry so the movies the new movies the i don't know uh like the seven eight nine uh a new hope Mm -hmm. redone the good one and then the really really bad one um (laughs) there is a moment in these movies that they are they are a half. Uh oh, uh oh. He's about Uh-oh. to bork. He's about to bork. We're okay. about to get a Zivon appearance. Um. So, w- w- these movies are so. They're like partially animated. They are so perfect. The CGI looks amazing. I mean, it does. The CGI looks amazing. The lightsabers and everything is so executed perfectly. The Empire Strikes Back. I watched it on Disney Plus, um, which I didn't know we had. Um. <laughs> There are so many imperfections and weird cutaway shots and like the movie is really gritty and like particularly seeing it as a like a 4K whatever streaming one the sets look fake as fuck <laughs> and like particularly everything on the snow planet on Hoth but the imperfections are what make you relate to them like mm-hmm. Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher look basically like regular people Particularly yeah, the men. Like good looking regular people. Good looking regular people. But not like people. movie stars. Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver are like movie are like movie star movie stars. Like they are like they don't look gritty. I mean they they try to make Daisy Ridley a little dirty, but particularly Adam Driver, they give him a facial scar that then they move and then they move back. <laughs> but he like they're all extremely good looking people. Like super fit and ripped and Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like I think the part that makes Empire Strike Back many people's favorite movie is it's gritty and it's dirty and the people aren't, you know, mm-hmm. it's quirky. Like, too. It's quirky and it leans into its camp. And these other ones are trying are like so like they don't go far enough being pseudo serious and they don't understand like the humor supports this kind of like like there's humor in the other ones but it's all done with like big CGI action set pieces like the one in the Good Moon, The Last Jedi. Of this whole thing of like they're trying to get these cows or something on the Justin Thoreau planet and blah blah blah. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's Empire Strikes Back. Excellent, excellent. Also, count the weird cutaways in that movie. There's a lot of them. <laughs> um, 
The Favorite by Yorgos Lathamos. Oh, yeah. Um, he's got his style. I mean, he's got his style as much as Alfred Hitchcock had his style, as much as mm-hmm. Terrence Malick has his style. You know, the dead the deadpan performances in wide-angle lenses are, you know, he uses a fisheye lens well. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, he does his thing well. I wonder how many student films he has influenced with his wide-angle fisheye lens. Oh, probably so many. <laughs> um, I do love the deadpan weird character stuff in his films, though. Are you looking forward to poor things? I don't know. I don't look forward to his films. Like, probably my favorite is The Lobster, just because, like, it's my brand of quirky. But the rest I'm, like, meh on. Like, I mean, they're all really well done and well acted and, like, have a fairly good story, but... I don't know. There's just something about it that I don't love. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I like Universal mon- monster movies. I think that's going to be interesting. It's like Frankenstein's story. Um, I did not like Killing of the Sacred Deer when we saw it, but the scene, a couple scenes in that movie, stay in my head. That's true. To this day. Yeah, that's actually really true. Okay. I think he's a great filmmaker. I just like don't want to watch his movies all really, the time. You don't really like uh, what's that one? The first one, the one with the Greek family. It lives inside. It's not his first movie, but you know, it's it's Dogtooth. Oh yeah, I was a little bored, but like still amazed. He just has his style and he goes for it, and it's very different. Like Dogtooth, especially the thing I really liked is there is some scenes where he doesn't show the person speaking like at all. Right. You're watching the person just listen, and I think that's really bold, and I really like it. Yeah, I like yeah. Anyway, moving on. She said a movie about the team that brought. Brought up, brought Harvey Weinstein down, essentially. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to do movies about people talking on phones. It it's really, really is. Hard. It's really, really hard. And this movie is excellently acted, excellently shot. It's boring because a lot of it hinges on these telephone conversations. And then, mm-hmm. um, what's her name? Plays herself. Ashley Judd plays herself, but she's aged quite a bit since this. You know, like. I kind of liked that. I like that she plays herself. Yeah, I don't know. It's. It just didn't. I had a hard time making this movie. Just didn't work because they didn't find a way around the cell phone talking. Mm-hmm. If you like, Spotlight is another movie about lots of people talking on phones, and they wisely cut the fuck around talking on phones as yeah. much as possible. I was gonna say it's really hard to watch these kinds of investigative journalism shows without, uh, sorry, films without comparing it to Spotlight because Spotlight is just so well done and you're just like, why can't you be like Spotlight? Or even The Post, the movie the about Post, yeah. uh, Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks running the uh, Washington Post. Yeah, that one was good too. So, sorry she said like... She good, said on the phone. Good attempt. <laughs> good attempt, good story. The Great story. Harvey Weinstein documentary, which I can't remember the name of it, is really good and really hard to watch, but very good. Yeah. And last, but certainly, certainly, certainly not least, is The Negotiator. Uh, <laughs> this movie played on TNT for years, I'm pretty sure. I never saw the beginning of this movie. I'm, you know, the movie is Kevin Spacey and Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson's been wrongfully accused, and he's, go- he's a ne- hostage negotiator, and he takes hostages. It's kind of like John Q, but instead of a hospital, it's mm. a man trying to clear his name in a high-rise. And... We live in a world that like celebrates mediocrity like never before. Um, like everything has to be excellent or terrible. Like there's no, there's no right now. Right now. Oh yeah. If the negotiator came out now, this movie would get nominated for Oscars because <laughs> it's 
It's riveting. It's well put together. It just works. It's a good movie. But since there's no such thing as good movies, they have to be excellent or they're terrible. Since this is a good movie, this is an excellent movie and get nominated for like acting awards. Yeah. That's my theory with like television shows, maybe not as much with movies. I find people freak out about television shows now more than anything. It's like, that was amazing and life-changing. I'm like, it was just good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, another one is like, and this is not one of my potpourri things, but The Negotiator is kind of like The Fugitive, very watchable, always on TNT. Um, but is it an Oscar-nominated movie? If it came out today, it probably would be. I don't know. See, I, I would debate you on this thing about movies. I would not debate you on television, like miniseries or full series, um, multiple series shows. I think movies are still have that gray area of like, kind of good, not good, not Oscar worthy. <laughs> right. Well, you know, th- that's been my potpourri. Uh, you know, like, let me know if... Oh, oh. Ooh, that's nice. Well, this has been our potpourri. If you like us, you should uh, probably you know, you know, do the thing. Hit the um, button. Subscribe. Yeah. Like us. Do things. Yeah. Listen to us. Please. <laughs> Not to seem desperate. <laughs> Only here can you get that kind of production quality. What quality? It's great production quality. It is great. Well, I'm, I'm Andrew. I'm Teresa. And we're about to have a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>